Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having a fantastic Tuesday. Just finished off hosting Clay and Buck uh, solo, Buck getting ready for the big wedding. Um, uh, But I hope all of you are having fantastic Tuesdays. Hey, football season in the Travis household. We got a game today. Uh, JV going to be headed out here in a little bit. Got to work on my book. Told you all yesterday, I absolutely loved Game of Thrones until the show fell apart in season seven and eight. So I caught up on the new House of the Dragon show uh, that aired on Sunday. 10 million people watched it. It's the largest debut for a new show in HBO history. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. I've got a long review up on uh, Outkick.com. Encourage all of you to go check that out. I'll be writing every Sunday, trying to get a column up Sunday evening like I did for Game of Thrones for years. And I also will be doing an immediate live reaction show to Game of Thrones like I did the past several years. Uh, Game of Thrones finale, feels like it was eons ago, happened in May of 2019. So it's been over three years since uh, I was last doing those shows. My plan is to bring them back on Sunday night. Not happy that Game of Thrones elected to bring a new show out and go head-to-head with Sunday Night Football, but... Uh, I think that you guys will uh, enjoy those columns, enjoy those shows. Certainly, uh, we all have in the past. So, bunch of things to dive into. Today is Florida, New York, and Oklahoma, I believe, primary day. And the biggest story, I would say, that's going to come out of these primaries, probably, is who is the Democrat contender going to be to go up against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in November's election? The favorite right now, by a pretty massive amount, is Charlie Crist to be the Democrat nominee. Uh, And there's a joke that goes, a Democrat, a Republican, an independent walk into a bar, and the bartender says, hey, how you doing, Charlie? Because Charlie Crist has been a Democrat, a Republican, and an independent in his political career so far in Florida. Uh, I suspect that Ron DeSantis is going to win by seven or eight points. And I talked about this just now on the Clay and Buck show, Ron DeSantis is by far the best possible candidate for Donald Trump to select as vice president. Now, DeSantis and Trump have been feuding a bit. Um, and and by feuding, I just mean maybe there's a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of tension in their relationship. For instance, DeSantis said he wasn't going to ask Trump for an endorsement. But to DeSantis's credit, he has been among the most vociferous uh, attackers of the Mar-a-Lago raid, which I'm going to get to in a minute as the FBI and the Department of Justice are essentially just letting everyone in the media know about every single detail associated with the affidavit uh, that led to uh, their raid on the Mar-a-Lago home of Donald Trump. So I'm going to get to that in a moment. But DeSantis has been the best possible defender of Trump because my argument would be DeSantis is disciplined Trump. Trump is bull in a china shop, breaking everything imaginable, even though he gets to oftentimes the right results. That is Trump. DeSantis is a more targeted uh, and disciplined, I would say, advocate for many of the same policies. And I think DeSantis did an amazing job on COVID. And he deserves, based on that, to be a legitimate candidate for president of the United States. So with that in mind, 
why not pair Trump and DeSantis and argue this is a 12-year ticket? Because the one, the biggest downside, I would say, of Trump being the nominee in 2024 is actually that Trump only has one term to serve. So by 2026, basically he's a lame duck and everybody is already turning towards 2028. So is the best possible outcome actually DeSantis to be his vice president, let them run together, let them get out there and uh, and make the case that this is a 12-year move. Now, I'm not sure DeSantis would do it. I still think DeSantis might well run against Trump. Uh, but if we wanted to have like a coalition of the best possible candidates, then Trump as president and DeSantis as vice president would make the most sense. Now, I understand some of you out there would say, that would be the Trump argument. Some of you out there would say, hey, I want DeSantis to be the overall president, and he needs to run for president as well. And I would welcome that. I 100% would welcome that because I want as many top candidates to get out there as possible. Remember, Trump triumphed over 17 or 18 or 19, whatever the total number of contenders was when he ended up being the nominee. I think the only person who can run against Trump and beat Trump in the Republican primary is DeSantis. And I'm not sure he could do it but I believe he is the only person who could do it. No other Republican has a chance. So I don't know if DeSantis would be willing to be Trump's vice president. He might well say no. Uh, but if that were the ticket, I love DeSantis' ability to make, uh, to, 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 to make arguments. And look, I would be happy with either Trump or DeSantis as the nominee, but Trump-DeSantis 2024, DeSantis is going to win by seven or eight points over, I expect, Charlie Crist. I expect that he's going to be the nominee, and we're going to find out about that tonight when the polls officially close in Florida, that he's going to beat Nikki Freed. And then, again, DeSantis got $130 million in the bank or whatever the heck it is. He's going to cruise to a victory, and then the question is going to immediately start to pivot. What is going to happen in 2023? What is the situation going to be there? Uh, On the Trump document front, it's so predictable exactly what is going on. And that is Merrick Garland is leaking through his Department of Justice all of the information that he claims is too sensitive to actually be released in an affidavit. If the information in the affidavit is so insanely uh, confidential and so important to overall uh, uh, our basic um, uh, safety in the country, why is it okay for the New York Times to write all about it? Why is it okay for the, uh, for the Washington Post and uh, you know the, the, the Wall Street Journal, whoever it is, why is it okay if these documents are so dangerous and so confidential that those entities can leak them? And let me just ask you a question. Which is more of a danger to American democracy? A former president keeping old documents from when he was president under lock and key inside of his private residence as presidents have done for hundreds of years or an attorney general of the current president who uh, may be running against this individual again staging a raid on that former president's home and potential political uh, rival going forward. Which is 
the bigger threat to democracy. Everybody wants to talk about threats to democracy, precedents that are being set, all of this. Which is the bigger threat? Is it an attorney general of the opposing political party investigating the top candidate of the other political party and the primary rival of his boss, the president? Or, which has never occurred in the history of our nation, or the president keeping some papers that might be considered confidential, which has occurred for hundreds of years in this country. Which is the one that is more destructive to the brand of democracy? I think we all know what the answer is. And that is why this story is being covered in such a ham-handed fashion and frankly a biased fashion because most people are not looking at the most destructive and outrageous and without precedent action, which is the Department of Justice raiding a former president's home, over something that virtually every president for all of American history has done, which is keep documents from the time when they were president. Which is more destructive? It's not even a difficult call. Merrick Garland should be out of his job based on the choice that he made there. I loved the new Game of Thrones. House of the Dragon, I believe I'm getting that title right. I don't know why they just didn't say House of Dragons. Anyway, House of the Dragon, about the Targaryens, I thought was really well done. Now, the first episode was made for imbeciles, right? It was one of those episodes where they're constantly like waving their arms around like, this is a big deal. Make sure you're paying attention to this detail. And there is some concern in my mind that it might go woke because almost every entertainment uh, object out there, show, ends up going woke, movie. But if they just commit to the same uh, same narrative devices and consistency and fearlessness that characterize the first several years of Game of Thrones, I think this will actually kill. I think this will be dominant. I think this show will be absolutely fantastic. Fingers crossed that it can continue, but I was very optimistic based on what I saw in episode one. Again, we will do a live show Sunday. That is, what is that, five days from now? Five days from now, the minute that that episode ends, right around 10 o'clock Eastern, boom, you get on your social media devices and I will be staring right back at you talking about the new Game of Thrones. Hey, Clay Travis here. Hope you guys are enjoying OutKick. The show will have more coming back next. Uh, Congratulations, Nick Saban, now the highest paid coach again in college football. Jimmy Sexton continues to get him paid $11.7 million a year now with a coaching deal that extends until 2030. (coughs) That is, what, eight more years, whatever the heck the math is on that. Um, And I got to tell you, Nick Saban's still wildly underpaid. If you look at the difference at the University of Alabama from before Nick Saban took over to now, Nick Saban has won, whatever it is, six national championships at Alabama. They've been number one in the season at some point for 15 straight years, which is an unprecedented level of success that I truly believe will not be equaled anytime in the near future. All right? And... As a part of this, as a part of this, the University of Alabama has actually become an elite university. And people say, like, what's the impact of Nick Saban? I will tell you, you've got rich people in New York, 
California, Illinois, begging for their kids to go away to college in Alabama. That has never happened in the history of the United States prior to Nick Saban. No one in the South Bay in L.A. was like, man, I hope my daughter grows up and goes away to college at Alabama. That would be a great pick for her. No one in the suburbs of New York City, no Greenwich, Connecticut mom has ever been like, you know, I hope Susie gets into the University of Alabama because that's where I'd like her to go away to college. Never before in the history of the nation have people on the east and west coasts of this country hoped that their kids went away to college at Alabama. Now they do. That's because of Nick Saban. And the result has been billions of dollars in money that otherwise would not have flown into the University of Alabama's coffers. Because all of those rich kids who are coming out of state are paying twice as much as they would if they were state of Alabama residents. They have over doubled the amount of students that attend the University of Alabama because the demand has been so insane because, to a large extent, of the success of the University of Alabama football team. Nick Saban, I'm not kidding about this, has been worth billions of dollars. That is billions with a capital B of dollars to the University of Alabama based on his football success. He's actually underpaid. And I've been arguing this for a long time uh, because... Saban is so much better than everybody else at coaching college football and running his program that he deserves probably twice as much money as the second best coach. And you can argue about who the second best coach is. Kirby Smart. Uh, you can argue that it's, uh, that it's uh, Dabo Sweeney. Like there's a lot of people you could argue, not a lot, but several, are the second best coach in college football right now. What happens instead is Nick Saban basically gets a raise for everybody else. Because you remember when... Uh, when LSU won the national title with Coach O, first thing they did was pay him a uh, comparable salary to Nick Saban. And when Kirby Smart wins the national championship with Georgia, first thing they do is bump him above Nick Saban so then Nick Saban can come back and get more money on the backside. Saban has elevated college football coaching salaries to the tune of other guys who are coaching right now owe hundreds of millions of dollars to Nick Saban. Because the way that you prove that you care about college football in a big way is by paying your coach a salary that is somewhat similar to Nick Saban, even if that coach doesn't remotely deserve it. Because that is the standard for marketplace competition. And what should happen, frankly, is Nick Saban should hold out and say, I want $50 million a year to coach Alabama. I think think I'm worth it. And I would agree with him. I think he is. Instead, they sort of have to inch this up a million dollars at a time. So remember, it was, first of all, I think Steve Spurrier in around 1998 became the first college football coach to ever make a million dollars a year. And people were like, oh my God, how does Steve Spurrier make a million dollars a year? And then, uh, and then everybody kind of sat around and they said, okay, well, two million, three million, four. Well, now we're up to almost, what did I say it was? 11.7. Somebody next year will be making $12 million. And so they're inching it up a million dollars at a time and eventually, $5 million a year for a coach is going to look cheap. Certainly, a million dollars a year now looks insanely cheap. We're going to have a $20 million college football coach. I bet in the next five years, there will be a college football coach making $20 million a year. People out there are like, you're crazy. There's no way this is going to happen. I think it will. I think it will happen sooner rather than later. But congratulations, Nick Saban. He actually deserves it.
Reports are out there that Joe Biden is going to cancel $10,000 in student loans for those making under $125,000 a year. This is such an awful idea, okay? Uh, first of all, the, the, the loan isn't getting canceled. You and me and every taxpayer out there is paying for it. So this idea of, oh, I'm just going to wave a magic wand, it's magical thinking, it's modern monetary theory, and you would think after Joe Biden has spent trillions of dollars and we have 8% interest, that the idea of waving off student loans, it basically is a gift on behalf of you and me to everybody else out there who took out student loans. And remember, the number of kids who go to and graduate from college is still relatively low in the grand scheme of things. I think something like 20% of adults right now have college degrees. And so the people who are taking out loans and going to college in the first place have far more advantages than the kids who never even think about going to college at all. So why should all of those kids out there who at 18 years old went into the military or went and found their own job and have been paying their way ever since, why should they subsidize the education with their tax dollars of comparatively wealthy and advantaged kids who took out substantial amounts of loans to get a degree. Now, I think that the college loan industry is a joke. I think what college costs is indefensible today. I really do. Now, I'm fortunate to be able to pay uh, for, uh, for my kids when they go off to college, but I took out loans to be able to go to law school. I didn't finish paying off my law school loans, I don't think until I was like 35 or 36 years old, uh, well after I'd been graduated from law school already. I I imagine a lot of my classmates who've been out of school for nearly 20 years are still paying off some of those loans that we took off to go get graduate degrees. And so, look, it's an investment in yourself. I understand it. But you got people taking out $100,000 in loans and then they're going to go out and make $40,000 a year. That to me is criminal. If you are taking $100,000 for somebody to go get a graduate degree in social work so that they can make $40,000 a year, the math doesn't add up. There's one thing if you're going to school to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever else, and you can look into the horizon on the future and say, okay, I'm going to make a lot more money with this advanced degree. But frankly, what college costs and what some degrees cost relative to what kids make for those degrees should be investigated. And you shouldn't be able to take out hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans, as many people do, when there is no real payoff on the degree which you are getting. But the idea that people who took out loans should get those loans waived off and should no longer be paying for Uh, those loans and instead should be subsidized by people who took out uh, way less loans or never went to college in the first place is frankly, to me, absolutely indefensible. It should not be happening. I think it's fairly inexcusable. Um, All right. Finally, uh, sports news. Kevin Durant is sticking with the Nets. It appears Nobody else really wanted to sign Kevin Durant, so they had one of those situations where 
Uh, they're thinking about getting a divorce, and instead they decided to have a baby. <laughs> you ever seen that kind of situation happen where you're like, this couple is done. Neither one of them wants to still be there anymore. There's no way this relationship is continuing. And then the next thing you hear from that couple, they're having a baby. Usually that doesn't work out very well. So I'm not optimistic that the Nets, who were going to get divorced and instead decided to have a baby, are trying to talk about how much they love being with each other in the statement that was put out. It doesn't seem like Kevin Durant had great options relative to what the Nets thought he was worth. And so they're just going to paper over this these differences. They're going to put out a statement and they're going to pretend that they were never fighting. This is where we are today. All right. Love all of you. Uh, be back live tomorrow on Clay and Buck. Got to go out, uh, write a little bit, and then I'm headed out to go watch a JV football game. My sixth grader has got a game tonight in Nashville. I am Clay Travis. This has been Outkick the Show. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. I will see you guys tomorrow.